This is Town Square Sunday On Demand. And now, 1420 WBSM's Jim Phillips. The New Bedford Lights' Jack Spillane back with us this morning. Good to see you again, Jack. Good to be here, Jim. In a recent column, you stated you've been pulling a lot of strings on why the Star Store in downtown New Bedford is no longer home to the UMass Dartmouth College of Visual and Performing Arts. Your conclusion is... It's no wonder people hate politics, government, and bureaucrats. Uh, You've been writing about the Star Store for four or five weeks. What have we learned? Well, you know, I filed a couple of public records requests, Jim, and we learned that there are these two state agencies, the UMass Building Authority and the Division of Capital Asset Management and Maintenance. That's a mouthful, Mm -hmm. but they're known as DCAM around state uh, corridors and UMBA for UMass Building Authority. And evidently, these folks have a lot of power because none other than the UMass Chancellor, Mark Fuller himself, told me that even if he wanted uh, the Star Store to stay in New Bedford as a college, which he professes to do, although a lot of people are skeptical of that, he couldn't do it because these state agencies say it's too expensive. And um, when you cost it out, they say there's $70 million worth of maintenance. I'm a little skeptical of those figures. I've asked for a breakdown of them. But there's $700 million of maintenance to do at the Dartmouth campus. So maintenance is just a cost of, of doing business at universities. Where has all the money gone over the years? And why would we close a store because of a line, a, a school, because of a line item in the state budget two weeks before the semester was supposed to begin? It's incredibly frustrating, uh, and that, that those questions seem to make the story uh, more frustrating. I mean, there's no—we can't seem to get an, an answer, or you can't seem to get an answer about it. Yeah, they, they keep saying that they're in discussions, quote-unquote, with the governor and with UMBA and DCAM, uh, particularly UMBA, uh, uh, the UMass Building Authority, which is populated by 11 members, five of whom are members of the Boards of Trustees— of the UMass system, which traces back to Martin Meehan again. I just think that all these discussions, it's been weeks, how much is there to discuss? Former Mayor Scott Lang says, just put them all in a room and say, we'll do this, we'll do that, you do this, pay the developer off if you have to, but just open the damn store. So it's a school, I keep saying store. <laughs> well, it's a star store. That's where our heart is with that building, but clearly... Uh, you are. It is a school, and it's been a, a, a wonderful school, a productive school. Yeah, it's only 116 students, but many of the graduates have contributed to what is now a burgeoning art community in the city of New Bedford. Some of them are still yeah. here. You have the Hatch Street Studios in the North End, yeah, Kilburn Mill in the South End, Gallery X. The, the artists are all over the downtown, and they've come to go to that school, uh, it's really hard to imagine. And by the way, some of the faculty says that faculty positions have not been being replaced and they have stopped recruiting at the at the artisan fairs, and that's one of the reasons why the numbers have gone down. They're just not, they're just not into a, an art school in New Bedford. They, they're looking at more practical majors. Well, I wonder why the new Democratic governor, working with a legislature that's almost all Democrats, with lots of Democratic support in this city, couldn't have fixed this some way by now. I mean, it seems like, you know, Lang has the right answer. People get together 
And let's see what we can do. New Bedford wants this to happen. Are we being ignored here? You know, I was listening on the way over about uh, the new Democratic governor on the issue of a large number of immigrants who are coming and the housing of them in motels and the guarantee of the state to, to um, uh, take care of them until they, can, but they can't work. That's one of the problems. And she just seems to be having a very low profile on everything. You know, we read about her being on vacation for most of the summer, and she just has not had any, anything that's come from her office on the on the College of Visual and Performing Arts in New Bedford has come from her public relations spokespeople. She just has not been visible on it. And it, you have to wonder how much she really cares. Or how much clout she really has on these issues. Yes, I had one member of the delegation and I was flabbergasted. I, I, I won't name them because it was a background conversation, but I had one member of the delegation say to me, well, we can't really do anything because I said, just hold up the whole UMass budget. You know, people have done that on other issues. And this, this member said to me, oh no, we can't do that. We have to vote it all up or down. So it seems that the university is telling the state government what will happen rather than vice versa. It's an amazing thing. Yeah. It is amazing. Okay. You're still working on the story, right, Trent? We're still at it. All right. Very good. Uh, well, here we go with a controversy over sober houses once again. Um, we Every few months, it seems, there's some sort of a controversy about drug treatment or sober houses and neighborhoods. Uh, now, one may be coming to a prominent neighborhood on Ash Street in New Bedford, uh, the property owner so far isn't saying very much about this, which I find kind of strange. I mean, I think everybody thinks he's thinking about putting a sober house there, but we don't really know. Yeah. So I was astonished. This one, of course, is a little different because it's one of the most affluent neighborhoods in New Bedford where none other than the mayor himself, State Rep Cabral, former Mayor Lang, State Senator Montigny, all live in that close on that cluster of, of houses. Yeah. And there's, there's signs up all over, save our historic neighborhood. I was amazed that there are 19 or 20 sober houses across the city. And they are not all, they are not all in industrial or commercial. Many of them are in lower middle class and working class neighborhoods. And I'm sorry, I get it. People are, are concerned about something coming into their neighborhood. My own neighborhood, we had a rooming house and we were concerned about that. So I, I get that. But you really do have to look at you know, if the sober house is well run, why can it not be in a well-to-do neighborhood as well as a working-class neighborhood or a middle-class neighborhood? We had one counselor, uh, he, said, he said it on WBSM, Ian Abel, who said he was against sober houses in any residential neighborhood. Well, they're all in residential neighborhoods. Uh, um, the downtown is a residential neighborhood. I mean, people live there, lots of people. Sure. So uh, it's, it's kind of, uh, you know, you say you were surprised. You learned up to the 20 to 30 sober houses already operate in New Bedford. So was I when I read it. And, uh, and many in, others in the in suburbs. Light. And uh, <laughs> on the same breath, a lot of these people say, well, addiction's an illness. We have to do something to help these people. We have to find places to put these things. But they don't want it in their neighborhood. And I, I understand that. I get it. I feel just exactly like you, but if something is well run and people are managed correctly, why can't these things yeah. be 
anywhere. Well, the fact is they're often not well run, and that's what people are worried about. It, sure. and I I get that. But if you look at where um, places like um, uh, the, the the drug rehabilitation places, the treatment centers are, they're they're beginning to look like they're in these industrial neighborhoods. Hicks Logan is a place where a lot of them are now. In the South End, in um, housing development neighborhoods, you see a lot of them. That's where people are putting them. And so what they're saying in that message is, these kind of things are for poor people. You know, sober houses can be located next to poor people. They don't have much anyway. It won't bother them. Well, poor people may may think differently of that. There was a hearing Tuesday night on this matter at City Council. Packed, I, packed. I heard. Yeah. I had wanted to get over. I wasn't able to get over, but okay. I, I heard it was it was packed. Anything decided? Do you knowledge? No, I, I I think part of the problem is that these are issues that have to be addressed, but by zoning beforehand. And if you do not have the zoning in place uh, beforehand, you're going to be hard pressed to Stop. enforce it afterwards. Westport yeah. has a, a similar thing with the Airbnb going on now, and. Um, you know, you really have to do the zoning ahead of time, I think. All right. Uh, you're listening to Town Square Sunday. I'm Jim Phillips. My guest is New Bedford Light columnist Jack Spillane. You can read Jack's work at newbedfordlight.org. Preliminary election time, October 3rd, is the date of the election. A uh, couple of things. I was looking over the list of candidates, and uh, I was surprised to see that uh, Carmen Amaral is running at large. Not in, uh, not in War Three. She withdrew. She withdrew about a week ago, a, okay. a week and a half ago. She gave very little information. She all she said was circumstances beyond my control. I think that she owes the community more of an explanation than that. But she withdrew. Um, you know. Uh, so my understanding is that the ballots were not printed. Although I've heard reports that they were printed and they, and they've had to be printed over again. I don't know if that's accurate, but but um, she has withdrawn. Well, that's a. That's a surprise. Uh, certainly a promising candidate that uh, was running and, at large. And one of the few progressive candidates that you get running for city offices anymore. They're, they're mostly middle of the road to, to conservative. So the preliminary election will only eliminate one candidate in the at-large race. That's right. Okay. Um, the Ward 5 seat looks interesting. Obviously, Scott Lima has left to run at large. And there are... Uh, four candidates uh, for that seat as well. Um, what do you think? So I think in Ward 5, most of the action seems to be between former councilor, Ward 6 councilor Joe Lopes, who's moved into Ward 5, and Zach Boy, a progressive young man who uh, is active in social work, uh, affiliated, uh, backed, I, I believe, by the Coalition for Social Justice. So it's a, a, a centrist candidate with a candidate that's is slightly to the left. Um, you have the opposite in Ward 1, where I think you have a, a centrist candidate in Brad Markey with a candidate who's slightly to the right in Leo Chiquette. Yeah. But that, that's the only two candidates there, so that will be decided yes. in November. Um, so uh, in, in 5, Ian Marcus Saunders. Is he from the Saunders family? He is. He's a cousin. Um, okay. He ran once before in Ward 6. I don't know whether he also has moved into Ward 5. Um, he... Uh, when he ran before, he was not a candidate that um, I, I would I, I would say was connected in a way that he was raising a lot of money, sure. making a lot of connections with that family. So, you know, uh, we'll see. 
Same thing with uh, Brad Markey up in Ward 1. He is related to the Markey family, but not closely related. All right. So the four candidates in Ward 5, just to be fair, Joe Lopes, Zachary Boyer, Carlos Mayato, is that yes. correct? And Ian Marcus Saunders. Yes. The preliminary vote in Ward 5 for the Ward 5, uh, the preliminary election in Ward 5 for the Ward 5 council seat. 11 candidates in the at-large race. Only one will be eliminated. As we mentioned, only uh, no one will be eliminated in Ward 1. That's going to be decided in November. So the only other really contested race uh, on the ballot is the mayor's race. Yes. Where John Mitchell is facing five challengers. And uh, if you ask me to name them, I'm not going to be able to. I got a uh, list of them right here, yeah, so I can't okay. name them unless some of them are withdrawn. But uh, Nathan Almeida, Ryan Duart, Michael Jansen, Xavier Cardona, and Richard Tyson Moultrie. Those are the other candidates for mayor besides John Mitchell. So it doesn't look like a whole lot of action here. No, the, the mayoral opponents are not uh, people. They're, they're good people, but they're not people who are in a position to raise a lot of money to really run what we would generally in the media call a serious campaign. Yeah. Um, so it looks like Mayor Mitchell, you know, is a shoe in for, for re-election to a, a sixth. I forget whether it's fifth or sixth terms. Uh, he will, it will be his 13th year to his 16th year, I think, if yeah. uh, he is re-elected. The at-large race is interesting. You have three strong candidates. Um, uh, uh, you have a f two former councillors, Bruce Stewart and um, Scott Lima, who is a current councillor, moving into the at-large race. Mm -hmm. And then Devin Burns, who runs Destination Soups downtown, very well known. And a Latino woman, Carmen, uh, um, I'll mispronounce her last name. Not Carmen. Um, um, uh, Gumi. Gumi. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, Gilmi Santiago. Yes, and then and I think there's one more candidate who I'm forgetting, so I apologize uh, for that. Ari Pixley Whitner. Yes. Who's that? That, 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 that's that you're thinking candidate, about? Yeah. Okay. So these I people. That, I think that is the transgender candidate. Okay. So yes. these people, they don't really have a lot of name recognition. No. Well, the the the, the former counselors do. Yeah, uh, certainly, certainly. When you're talking about Lima, when you're talking about Duar, yeah, but the rest. I'm not sure. No. Uh, you know, uh, is anyone mounting a serious campaign? Um, I think, race? I think, again, I, I hate to put mispronounce her name, Guillermo yeah. uh, uh, Santiago is. She is very visible with signs in the Latino community. And Devin Burns in the downtown, uh, he's very well known sure. among the other restaurant owners. And there's a lot of signs among the restaurants in the downtown for Devin. All right. So uh, a low-key race, but still... Folks, it's important that you vote. I know it's a preliminary election. Preliminary elections generally don't uh, garner a lot of activity. I, I would just make the, one point is that we don't have the people running for office, no candidates in the school committee. Maybe New Bedford schools have uh, so perfect that they don't need any discussion. But, but um, it is a little discouraging, the lack of interest in running. Four of the six ward races have no candidates. Uh, I don't know what that's about, but, but people... In New Bedford, and, 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 and they say across the country, in local races, presidential races are higher than ever, but local races, people seem to have lost interest. I think part of that may have to do with the decline of the local media. Well, that may be true. That may be true. And I guess the school committee, I'm, I'm, I'm amazed by that. Um, all right, Jack, thanks very much for coming in. Thanks for having me, Jim. That's it for Town Square Sunday. Thanks for listening. 
Thanks also to Mike Roberts and Tim Weisberg for getting this program on the air. And in our various social media sites, I'm Jim Phillips. Join us next week for Town Square Sunday. Until then, have a great Sunday and a wonderful week.